Welcome back to FreightWaves Global Supply Chain Week. I'm John Kingston, FreightWaves Editor-at-Large, still talking about energy. So the diesel market looks like it made it through. There were plenty of times during the craziness of the last year or even two years when it looked like there might be problems with obtaining fuel, but it never really came to pass. Yes, the fuel certainly went up in price with the DOEEIA average reaching 570 in June, and that squeezed a lot of trucking companies. But ultimately, if you wanted to buy diesel, you could buy diesel. And the worst reason to see a company shut down is because it literally can't get fuel. Gary Beavers is somebody I've known for a long time. He is with Beavers and Company. He has been watching fuel markets for many years. And he's with us today to talk about how diesel markets have changed and how they haven't changed in the wake of the pandemic. So, Gary, I know you've been on FreightWaves TV before. So welcome back. Thank you, John. So were you concerned when inventories were so low, really low by almost any historic measure, that we might just literally run out of fuel? No. Uh, it's a complicated answer, but uh, really, and you know, you know, fuel breaks into upstream crude, goes into a refinery midstream, and then downstream distribution, which affects your members the most. The news tends to focus on upstream E&P, but that's not the critical number when the inventories get low. What matters is midstream refining and into then shipping, which can be pipeline, barge, rail, to get to local terminals. So your members are have companies pulling from a local terminal, selling direct to them in their backyard, or putting it into a retail outlet like a truck stop where they pick it up. So classically, the supply chain was so lagging that when inventory went low at the local level, it took too long to replenish the last mile. Most of that has changed largely due to hurricanes where I live in Houston, Texas. So the industry has had to make adjustments to figure out that you can't have a 60-day delay to resupply a terminal in a, in a big event. So that was part of it. The other part was COVID was such a slow developing disaster. Unlike, I mean, a hurricane, you get a few days, tornadoes, you get nothing. But, you know, on COVID, we had, oh, it was going to be two weeks, then it was going to be two months, then it was going to be six months, and then there's people, bureaucrats today, think it's still a pandemic, right? So we had a blur of regulations. I would say that the powers that be, and that, you know, there's a different set of powers. The majors are way upstream. And then you've got local distributors, but each of those segments, the powers that be, basically just stayed calm and waited to find out, you know, for the other shoe to drop, whether they're going to be regulatory uh, uh, edicts put in place, like they do with hurricanes. When the government makes edicts, they usually misapply supply. In this case, the government sat on the sideline and let the industry work it out for itself. So yes, inventories got low, but the industry responded by quickly moving from one area to another area. Now, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned, you did seem to suggest that there'd been some change. You talked about the, the 60 day supply. I mean, are there, are there permanent changes in the way this industry is doing business coming out of the pandemic? Uh, not really from the pandemic. It's really from the major hurricanes we had over the last decade, particularly the one that shut down, you know, all the refining out of the Gulf Coast. So then you really did have a constriction. You had no ability to resupply because the refineries literally were not running. So you had to manage the supply on hand. 
But if you think of distribution of fuel in the U.S., it breaks down into five markets other than, you know, California, which is a country of their own. The other markets can resupply each other. They can do some balancing. So you don't generally have shortages across the country. Almost always shortages are in the local area, regional at best, but really local area like Atlanta or, you know, so we have the ability with pipelines and now a lot of rail. People complain that we're shipping product by rail, but that's because rail is a lot more flexible. It goes to a lot more ship to points than, and, and we ship a lot of crude by truck out of the Balkan, right? So we're just a lot more flexible. And I would say uh, I've been in this space 30 years. 30 years ago, nobody at the top could tell you where inventories were. Like when they ran out locally, nobody actually could go push a button, look at a meter and say, oh, we're going to move it from here to here. So we've gotten a lot closer to having a logistical handle on where the supply is. And in your case, we're talking diesel, not crude, right? Right. So let's let's talk about some other factors in the diesel market that certainly the audience that reads Freightways are concerned about. Um, I was actually out driving with a few friends the other day over the weekend uh, on, a, on, a, on, a, on a guy's trip to Florida, and they started talking about how expensive diesel was relative to gasoline. They'd never seen that before. Uh, or they've seen it. They've seen it in, in the, the last few months. And certainly anybody who consumes it, like truckers, have noticed that same thing, too. In their head, they had a kind of a normal spread between gasoline and diesel and that's way way that's gone i mean that 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 spread now is gigantic i have my views on why why it happened what are your views on why it happened well first it starts back with the whole conversion early to mid 2006 7 8 up to ulsd so making the refiners take the sulfur out of the diesel cost money the industry spent something like $8 billion on hydro treaters. And they had to put them at every single refinery because it's a connected supply chain. You can't just fix it in one area, not another area. So it was a global change. That cost more money. There were side things that nobody thought about. Sulfur acts as a lubricity agent in diesel. So now all diesel has to be additized. So now you dump a couple more cents in there, cost of the additive, and then the terminals charge a couple of cents to juice it into the diesel supply because it comes in generally unadditized till it hits a terminal, right? So you just got added cost. The taxes have gone up extremely. There's like a 25 cent, 20, 25 cent differential between the federal tax on gas and on diesel. That's happened in the last probably just 10 years. But the USD dump, most people think about 25 cents. It added up another 20, there's 50 cents. And as you guys who are in the hauling manufactured goods, you know, if the manufacturing price goes up, it's exponential to the retail price. Each little step of that supply chain adds to it. So ULSD is the biggest thing. The other is the demand level. The pandemic, that was the interesting thing with pandemic. Obviously, people got laid off, businesses got shut down, and people like me, you can see in my background, moved from a nice big office to a spare bedroom in my house. So my commute is to walk upstairs. I live in Houston. That was a 60, 70-mile commute every day. So that's the miles I don't buy gas and put on my car. Look at L.A. Look at you know Boston. There you're not driving miles. You're just sitting in traffic. You can't move. Chicago. So all these miles went away, primarily gasoline. So gasoline demand went down. 
refiners got to then, instead of cracking with the crack spread, you know, distillate, it has spaces that it cracks, they can actually carve out from the gas and produce more diesel. So that was a part of it is because gasoline demand went down, diesel demand went up because I had a mother-in-law living with me. So I got three, four Amazon package deliveries a day, every day. It's not an exaggeration. So if you look at the articles, the trends, shopping at home, shopping online, my wife now doesn't even go to the grocery store. She buys it online and somebody del delivers it. So commercial diesel miles actually went up. You should know that because that's what your guys are, your members. And so the demand went up. The price went up because it's all supply and demand. Gasoline stayed soft and they had to cut the margin because there just wasn't enough demand for it. Diesel demand went up and the price went up. But they were one of your pre-questions you sent me about why did pandemics, even though it got low, they were able to actually, instead of producing 40% diesel out of a barrel, they were producing like 50%. That's a generic number, but they could produce, they could produce from crude they already had. So it didn't matter that crude supplies got tight. Sometimes crude supplies getting tight affects you downstream. In this case, they have, they corrected it at the refining point. It's complicated supply chain. I mean, I'll, I'll just throw in my two cents because I'm a big uh, believer in the idea that IMO 2020 also was an impact because it diverted diesel, excuse me, distillate molecules away from the diesel pool and into the marine fuel pool that was supposed to hit us yep. in early 2020. Of course, nothing hit us in early 2020 except too much of everything. But by the end of yes. 22, you were definitely seeing the impact of that. Anyway, I, we won't go off on that. But let's no, you're, you're, you're correct. They, they took it away from transportation fuels, road transportation, obviously, and put it into shipping. And so that was a cut. But again, balancing out, we still stayed okay because gasoline went down so far. And even a minor thing like you have to have, like in hurricanes, when we have a hurricane in Houston, we can't get enough trucks to bring product from the terminal to a retail station. So our retail stations all run out. Not that we're out of product, we're out of trucks to haul it. So because they weren't hauling gas, they could redeploy those trucks to haul diesel. So pandemic was anomaly. Let's talk about the price of the pump. I'm gonna do a quick review for our listeners that the price of the pump is not set by oil companies. It's set by the owners of the retail stations that are almost never, certainly uh, west, uh, east of the Rockies, almost never actually oil companies. Um, and I think, you know, probably a lot of truck drivers are frustrated that they hear, like when the price has come down since its peaks of, over the summer, you know, they, they see, they hear that crude is coming down uh, and they just don't see the price of the pump coming down anywhere near as fast. My argument is that it has come down so fast and been so volatile that no retailers are really set up to move that fast, period end. They have a mindset that's even, whether going up or going down, that's a lot more moderated. Why hasn't the retail price come down as fast as the wholesale price? Well, the wholesale starts with crude. It's about 40, 45% of the base product cost, right? So crude goes up, it's gonna affect retail. But eventually you're talking 60, 90, 120 days away from moving the crude refining it and cracking it. And although some people look at what's coming, crude tends to go up and down in small fluctuations. So nobody's looking at crude saying, oh, it went up $5, so I'm gonna raise my price, you know, by 250 or something. They wait until, see if it's a, an actual continuous movement. So most retailers 
are independent small guys and all they do is look across the corner at the guy in the other station because if they raise their price more than two cents they lose customers so they wait to follow joe across the corner so and they'll run their margin down to where they're practically losing money because in some markets like texas is a market where you make a lot of money inside the store so it's not a gas station anymore it's a convenience store that sells gasoline not that they want to lose money on it but they don't want to lose traffic because then they lose both sides of the equation so they kind of play a balancing game Truck stops are certainly more sophisticated than gas stations. They tend to be big guys and they have few serious fuel buyers. A retail station just calls up a guy and says, what's my price today? And he says, and he says, well, I need it. So I buy it. Right. So there's, there's always a lag. There's just more of a lag now than there used to be. Right. Okay. We're kind of running out of time here. So l let me just ask if when you look over the fuel supply chain after three years of the pandemic, is it any different than it was? Do you do you see permanent changes? Do you see it restructured where the next time around, maybe it's going to be different? Don't, the, the, the only changes I see is what happened after the hurricanes. And there was a lot of fines that went out and a lot of soul searching of what we have to do something to take better care of our customers. Pandemic, they just used lessons learned from the previous supply shortages. I haven't really seen anything. The big change I can tell you, my dad was somebody who you know, lived in a motor home at one point in his life and he was so excited when he finally got to buy a diesel powered bus instead of gasoline. And that's the point at which it inverted and diesel became more expensive than gasoline. No one predicts it changing back. It might get better, you can't ever know, but the basis the demand for diesel is almost permanently higher than the demand for gasoline. You mentioned so a little bit about electric. It's not even a factor. It's 1% of the cars on the road today. Uh, 10 years from now, it might be 2% or 3%. It's been around 1% for a decade. Uh, there's many reasons why. That's another whole conversation. But, deep, but electricity is not eroding the gasoline demand by much more than a percent or so. And that's... That's just a drop in the bucket. Nobody's bothered about that. So, but diesel has cost factors and demand. It's in demand. And until we quit shipping less products, more miles, and that's you guys, good news is you get to drive trucks more. I have an uncle who's a truck driver. He's in a good mood. And and nobody sees that changing because rail isn't an option. I mean, our, our delivery is so down to the last mile, which is always a truck. Right, and, and rail is completely set up to not serve that. I just wanted to mention one thing. I mean, you say EVs are 1%. You know, a lot of markets work on the margin, and you just wonder if, if even if that went up two or three percentage points, given that the margins on gasoline are, are lousy, is, they are. Is, that, is that a tipping point? But uh, because, you know, it's not you, – you mentioned before they, they're making their money off the stores. If the, if the car doesn't even come into the convenience store – Right. To refuel, then they're not in the store. And you just wonder if maybe at a certain point it is a tipping point, not to like close down the whole industry, but to maybe lose a few outlets. Oh, certainly could. It's not going to affect trucks. I'm sorry. I, I go to the trucking shows. You, you're not going to see a big, massive move to electric long haul trucking. I mean, we tried doing CNG on local delivery of gasoline and the cost and the weight of the engine conversion, we, we lost 400 pounds of delivery. We couldn't lose 400 pounds of delivery of product. So 
So it, everybody talks about it. There's a lot of noise. But and even the time to refuel, I mean, or to recharge, I should say, takes, I don't, I, I don't know what it takes to refuel a truck, but I know that a car is three minutes. And if I had an electric car, I'd be, people, uh, buddies of mine who try it, try to go downtown Houston, they're sitting there for over an hour. Doesn't matter what the industry promises. Nobody's going to sit there for an hour. So they buy an electric car and they give it to their wife and she drives it around the neighborhood if she doesn't have a job. If she has a job, they give it to their kid, and they both drive fuel-powered cars downtown or wherever they go, right? So it, it, it will, but the, the adoption is going to be – it's just hammered. I mean, they can say what they want. Now, now there is – 2% is manufactured and sold every year because there's huge incentives for a manufacturer to produce electric cars. But a buddy of mine, Joe Petrowski – was uh, CEO of uh, Louis Dreyfus Commodities, was CEO of Gulf Oil, bright guy, has analysts working for him. He got somebody, one of his kids, to go online and look up actual registrations, which is what it takes to drive a car on the highway. So if there's other electric cars out there, they don't have a license plate on them, right? And we know that the U.S. Post Office bought hundreds, I mean thousands of E85 vehicles and they never got a mile put on them other than what it took to get it to the post office because they couldn't get E85 fuel. So we're going to see the same thing. E85 was the heralded next deal. It's going to destroy gasoline demand. It's going to be 85% ethanol and it never happened. Right. I, I actually I actually saw an E85 station the other day and I was kind of surprised to see it. Awesome. Well, they're well, okay, in Chicago, they have they still have a lot of incentives because they grow a lot of corn in Iowa. Yeah. But it's a spot market. It's like EVs are big surprisingly in Texas and California, the two leading states. So it's like 3% in our markets. So maybe that affects somebody, but you know, it's 3% out of a pond of Three, what it, what's the uh, anyway? It's, it's like 300 million cars on the road, right? Yeah. So, and, and the gas guzzlers, like I drive, right? So, they love to see me coming. So, whatever the EV they're not getting, I make up for it, honestly. <laughs> they're just mad that I'm sitting in my home office. Uh, we want to thank Gary Beavers of Beavers and Company for joining us today to talk about the state of the, the fuel supply chain. In the wake of the pandemic, Gary, we will, I'm sure we will have you back again. Good. It was, it's always fun talking to you, John. Have a good day. Thank you. Stick around and please wait for more of the Global Supply Chain Week Day on Oil and Energy. I'm John Kingston.